Christmas Eve. Those two words tell us that we're waiting. It's not Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. And we are waiting. One of the most difficult things to do in life is to wait. But we must wait, even on Christmas Eve. The sun has set, and we're waiting for another day, for a new day, for Christmas Day. And the story of Christmas is the story of the end of our waiting. Jesus' arrival means relief, redemption, and rescue from sin and the pain of our waiting. Tonight we've, we've chronicled the Bible's story of waiting for the Savior of the world through readings and songs. We started in Genesis where we learned that God made everything and everyone in beauty and holiness. But something tragic happened. Man sinned and so separated from God. And God was not content to let man be eternally separated from Him. So even though man sinned, God promised redemption and restoration through a son. We then worked our way through the Old Testament, especially through the prophets, where we learned that this promised son would give light to the world, that he would powerfully dispel the darkness as he is the mighty God come to earth. We even learned about the place where this promised son would be born, in the little town of Bethlehem, the city of King David. We moved into the New Testament, where we learned that this promised son came to save God's people from their sins. Which raises the question, why go back to the Old Testament now? Why go back to the book of Ruth? If it's your sense that Jesus coming into the world as a baby, His amazing life, His shocking death, His even more shocking resurrection from the dead, is where the story of the Bible reaches its climax, then you're exactly right. But as you all know, because I'm sure you all read stories, it's the rising tension of the story that helps us to appropriately take in the meaning of the story's climax and resolution. Just think of the uh, Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Over an hour of the movie goes by before we even understand why so many of George Bailey's friends are praying for him in the opening moments of the movie. Each glimpse into his past reveals the trials and triumphs, the sacrifices and situations that shape his world to lead him to a place of profound discouragement. This backstory it sets the scene, it cultivates anticipation and prepares us for a momentous resolution. And so it is with the stories of the Old Testament and even the story of Ruth. From the very beginning of the Bible, from as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we've been waiting for a son who would save God's people from their sins. And so each birth in the Old Testament, in one way or another, helps to prepare us for the arrival and the birth of Jesus. So yes, I'm, I'm taking us backward to Ruth, so that Lord willing, we can more fully appreciate what happened with the arrival of the Savior of the world. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to, to take up a Bible and open a Bible to Ruth chapter 4, beginning there in verse 13. If you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the pews, you should be able to find the passage on page 224. The chapters are the larger numbers there in the text, and the verses are the smaller numbers there. We're looking at Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We're going to take a brief look at the close of this little gem of a book. And as, as you're turning there, you, you need to know a few things about the book of Ruth. First, 
The events of this book, they take place in the days when the judges ruled the land of Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I wonder, does that description sound just, just a little like our own day? Is ours a world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes? Well, in the days of the judges, not only did everyone do what was right in their own eyes, but starvation was afflicting many in the little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, but there was a famine in the land. There was no bread to be found in the house of bread. And this sorrow, this famine, it led an Israelite woman named Naomi and her family to leave Bethlehem and to sojourn in Moab in hopes of a better life and future. Do you know of anyone who has moved, maybe even in this past year, in the hopes of leaving their hardships behind? Maybe they've crossed seas or borders of states or countries. Sorrow upon sorrow followed Naomi. For while she was in Moab, her husband died. Shortly after that, death took her two sons. And Naomi's sufferings remind us that the Savior of the world has not yet come. Difficulty, disease, and death have not yet been defeated. And after being overwhelmed by sorrow in Moab, Naomi returned to Bethlehem. But she did not return alone. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, promised to go with her. Ruth, you see, had married one of Naomi's sons. But Ruth herself was met with sorrow as death stole her husband too. As Naomi set out on the road and headed back to her hometown, Ruth went with her and promised never to leave her or to forsake her. Naomi protested, stay, Ruth. But Ruth persisted. As you can imagine, Naomi was very bitter at God for taking her husband and sons. Naomi was so bitter, in fact, that as she arrives in Bethlehem, she curtly instructs the women of the town not to call her Naomi, which means pleasant, but to call her Mara, which means bitter. Now, maybe you're not ready to go as far as Naomi and change your name to Bitter Betty, but perhaps you can empathize with Naomi. Perhaps you're a little frustrated with how God dealt with you. Maybe this year hasn't exactly been the easiest year, and you're waiting and hoping for a change. What Naomi didn't see, what Naomi couldn't see, through her blinding bitterness, is that God would use her faith-filled daughter-in-law, Ruth, to turn her gloom into gladness. Who knows what God might yet do in your life? In God's goodness, he prepared a wealthy landowner by the name of Boaz to be a rescuer and redeemer of Ruth, and as a consequence, Naomi. As a widow, Ruth was one of society's most vulnerable citizens. Not only was Ruth a widow, but she was a Moabite widow in an Israelite town. And therefore, she was on the marginal edge of society. Now, it's great and all that Boaz had a lot of money. Naomi and Ruth, they were going to need it. But what makes Boaz special is that his wealth was outstripped by his kindness and love. Boaz went to the city gate. He asked another suitor to step aside so that he could marry Ruth and rescue Naomi from poverty. It wasn't a legal obligation that led Boaz to marry Ruth and rescue Naomi. It was love. The witnesses at the city gate in the little town of Bethlehem, they offered a series of prayers over Boaz and Ruth. In short, they pray that God would bless them with children. And here's 
what happens next. Here's where we pick up the story. Follow along as I read read Ruth chapter 4, beginning there in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. These verses, they tell us that Ruth and Boaz were married, that they had a son, that Naomi gets to hold little Obed, and that as important as Obed was to the restoration of Naomi's life, his birth was also important to the restoration of a nation in despair. We had little doubt that Boaz would keep his word and marry Ruth, but the promise of offspring was not certain. In in verse 13, we see that the prayers that were uttered in verses 11 and 12 by the men of the gates, they're being answered. And it's not insignificant that the author mentions that the Lord gave Ruth conception. Conception is something that the Lord alone gives. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we meet this idea that it's the Lord who gives children. And in particular, sons. The Old Testament makes note of this not because the Hebrews were sexist, but because the promise of a redeemer in Genesis chapter 3 is of a male offspring, a son. Remember in Genesis 3.15, we read earlier tonight, that God promised that one day a son would be born, that he would defeat the devil, depravity, and death. So when we're reading this birth announcement in Ruth, we ought to be reminded that the promise of a redeemer is still alive. The promise of a redeemer who will fully and finally overturn sin and death. The sin and death that ravaged Naomi's life. The sin and death that perhaps has ravaged our own lives. That promise of restoration through a redeemer of the whole created order, it still lives on. The hope of the promise of a redeemer lives on because time and time again, the Lord gives conception where it seems unlikely. He gives conception to women in their old age to barren women, and to women like Ruth. God really is in control of this story. And He really is in control of your story. Bitterness, as we see here, is exchanged for blessing. Mourning is exchanged for joy. And the women, they readily recognize that God has been at work in this dark situation. They tell Naomi that the Lord has not left her without a Redeemer. You see that in verse 14? This little baby boy is a redeemer to her. And at the same time, they pray that this little boy would be a wider blessing to Israel. And that sounds a lot like how God's people think of their relationship to Jesus. He is both our Savior and Redeemer. And He's also the Savior of the world. In verse 15, the women of the town effectively promised that this little boy would be a restorer of Naomi's life and a nourisher in her old age. And along with her husband and two sons, her dreams had died in Moab. But now, this little boy has brought her back to life. 
Isn't that what Jesus does for sinners like us? Indeed, it is for in Ephesians 2, we are told that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and that God, who is rich in mercy, is pleased to raise believers up to new life with Jesus Christ, that baby who came. Friend, have you, have you been given new life in Jesus Christ, the baby who was born in Bethlehem? Do you know that apart from Jesus, we're all dead? Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. Did you know that you are in need of redemption and restoration? You do need redemption and restoration. Everyone does. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone here has sinned against God. We've all forsaken His good commands. We've decided to live our own way rather than His. That's what sin is. And the Bible tells us plainly that the the wages, the, the payment that's justly due to sin, for working in sin, is death. We're in danger of facing eternal death because we've all sinned against the eternal God. And this, this is why Christmas is filled with such joy. In love, God kept His promise. He sent His one and only most beloved Son to live the life that we have not lived, the life of perfect obedience to God. And on the cross, Jesus died, paying the price that our sins deserve in order to redeem all of those who would ever turn from their sins and place their faith in Him. And three days after His death, God raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating Him and proving to us all that the price He paid satisfied the just demands of God's law. And Jesus now calls each of us to turn from our sins and to place our faith in Him. Friend, turn from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be redeemed by Jesus Christ. Be restored and reconciled to God and so receive eternal life. As we conclude, we ought to consider verse 17. Do you see what verse 17 says there? It says this, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi, she has, she's taken Obed into her arms. She had so much taken from her, but now she gets to pick up her grandson. She's receiving back blessings from the Lord. And in the ancient Near Eastern culture, the the paternal grandmother would often care for the children in the household. And I think that's how we understand the phrase, a a son has been born to Naomi. But let's also allow that phrase, a son has been born, to ring in our ears and call to mind the prophetic literature. Let's remember what we read earlier tonight from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We read this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Following on the heels of this announcement that a son has been born, we're told that they named him Obed, and that he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed means servant. He not only served the Lord's purposes in restoring Naomi's life, but we also learn from his progeny that he served God's purposes in restoring hope to Israel in the days when there was no hope. Because there was no king. Through him and his offspring, God's king, David, would come. You see, it's God's work in history that brings about redemption and restoration. And here's the link between Ruth and the larger story of the Bible about our Redeemer named Jesus. Here's Christmas according to Ruth. 
Ruth's story is linked to David's story. And David's story is linked to King Jesus' story. Jesus would come through David's line. No Ruth, no Obed. No Obed, no Jesse. No Jesse, no David. No David, no Jesus. But Jesus was born from David's line in David's town, the place where Obed was born. And just as the end of Naomi's waiting for redemption came through Ruth and Obed in the little town of Bethlehem, so the end of our waiting for a redeemer from sin and death has come in the little town of Bethlehem through the Virgin Mary and Jesus. Through Jesus, God and sinners like us are reconciled. Through Jesus, eternal life and light are brought to this dark world. Through Jesus comes relief, redemption, and rescue from sin and the pain of our waiting. The story of Ruth is not just the story of the redemption of two widows. It's part of the fabric of the tapestry that tells the story of the redemption of the whole world. It's the story of redemption of Jews, Naomi, and Gentiles, Ruth. It's the story of redemption of all those who'd ever turn from their sins and place their faith in the final Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. When read in light of Jesus, the story of Ruth is the story of our redemption, which is the story of Christmas. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together.